podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This is Brandon Phoenix, a.k.a. I also hate Pitt, joined by my brother, Jeremy J.N. Fiend Phoenix. We are the Raspy Voice Kids. We do the Raspy Voice Kids podcast. If you love West Virginia University, you will love our podcast. If you don't care about West Virginia University, you will love our pop culture segment. It begins every single episode. You can join in the fun anytime, any place. Get at your boys. And welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I am your host, Lee Mitz. Today we are recapping a fantastic game for the Kansas Jayhawks against the West Virginia Mountaineers. Um, and then looking ahead to two different games tomorrow. First, Kansas plays uh, oh, the Oklahoma Sooners. That is, the Kansas women plays Oklahoma Sooners in Kansas City uh, as the quarterfinal of the Big 12 tournament there. Uh, I'll actually be covering that person or that game live in person. I'll be live tweeting the game from my personal Twitter account over at Andy Mitch 12. So if you want to keep track of the game during the, during the day, if you're not able to turn into ESPNU to actually watch it yourself and you need those Twitter updates, make sure you're following me. Uh, make sure that you are over there because I will be giving you guys all the updates that you need in terms of what all the action that's happening there. So, uh, looking again, looking forward to being able to cover the game in person. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it should be a great time. But then also in the evening, Kansas plays TCU in the semifinal of the men's side of the tournament. Um, TCU beating Texas earlier today. We will talk about that one shortly. Uh, but first, Kansas advancing over West Virginia. Uh, this game was honestly completely ridiculous. You look at the final line for the game. Um, there was, there was only one player for the Jayhawks who played over 30 minutes. That was Christian Brown. Abaji got 30 minutes. Jalen Wilson played 27 and Dewan Harris played 25, but it was Mitch Lightfoot that actually got the, the next starters minutes, uh, playing 23 minutes instead of David McCormick. Um, you know, kind of up front here. Bill Self did say earlier in the media availability prior to the Big 12 tournament that there was a really good chance that either David McCormick was not going to go at all in this game, that first game of the quarterfinal, um, or that he was going to be extremely limited. And I think that's what we saw. It didn't necessarily seem like McCormick was ineffective. I mean, he only played 10 minutes, still got nine points and five rebounds. Um, you know, so, so for the amount of time he was out there, that's actually a phenomenal line. Uh, that's like, I mean, that, that's what you expect. Like the expectation, like you project that out to what the normal number of minutes you expect him to play, which is about 25 or so, you know, and, and you're looking at roughly 20 points, like probably even more than that, but still like that, that was a fantastic line for what he did. And, and they didn't really need him to be in for a really, really long time in this game because, Let's be completely honest. This was a game where West Virginia was not ready for anything that Kansas threw their way. Um, you know, Kansas got out to a really, really big lead early in this game. I believe it was 19 to four. Um, when, when, uh, Bob Huggins got his double technicals and got ejected from the game. Look, that, that was one of the most ridiculous things that I've ever seen. Um, and also kind of one of the funniest things because, of who it was, Bob Huggins. You you knew that when he was going to get thrown out, that he was going to get his money's worth, uh, that he was going to be entertaining when he did it. I, I still don't think he should have gotten thrown out. Like I, I will, I will argue with anybody. Um, there was actually someone on Twitter that was trying to say that, Hey, I'm a, I'm a college ref. And that was definitely worthy of him getting ejected. But, but look, we have been hammering all year long about how the officiating has been getting worse and worse and worse. 
And I think it's to the point where players are frustrated. Players are, and they have every right to be frustrated. The play that instigated all of that was a Taz Sherman, you know, layup going to the hoop where to be honest, like I'm looking at it, it looked like three different Kansas players fouled him literally right in front of the ref and the ref didn't call anything. And so Sherman was understandably upset. You know, he turned to the ref and, and from what I can tell, from what it looked like, he basically said, what, that's not an effing foul. And then he got teed up, which, I mean, I guess I can understand getting teed up for cussing at the ref, but, but they let cussing at each other go all the time until it gets out of hand. Um, the fact that the refs have such thin skin that the minute you say something, trying to ask them what the heck is going on, they go ahead and tee you up. Um, this is a, a ref who is well known for what he does, you know, for his antics and Doug sermons. Um, so I'm not really, and, and I think that's part of the problem is that we know the ref's name well enough to know that he has that reputation. Um, you know, this is one of those things where I thought it was absolutely ridiculous as a Kansas fan who benefited from him being from, from him getting that technical and then Bob Huggins being thrown out. I thought it was ridiculous. I don't know how anybody can actually defend that sequence the way that that went. Um, you can talk about trying to keep your composure. You can talk about all this stuff, but the fact is we are holding players and coaches accountable for things that we don't hold refs accountable for. Supposedly it, it messes with their ability to get additional assignments, but let's be completely honest. These are not professional refs and professional in the sense that this is their job. Um, you know, a lot of them are picking up contract work through different areas of the, of the, of the country. Um, there are a large number of refs that do a fantastic job. So I, I don't want to make this sound like it is a, you know, I absolutely hate all refs. They're all doing horrible, but there are, it is way too easy for a particular ref that has an agenda or wants to make a name for himself or wants to do those sorts of things to run rampant through all of college basketball and cause a bunch of problems. So, all right, but I, I don't want to turn this into the complaint about the ref show. Um, you know, I, I think I've said more than enough about that. So let's get back to this game because let me tell you, this was a fantastic game. If you like, I came into the Big 12 tournament wanting to see a bunch of different things, like hoping to see a bunch of different things. And I'm going to be honest, in the first game, I think we checked literally every single one of those off except for win the Big 12 tournament, um, which obviously you can't do in a quarterfinal. So it's kind of not fair to, to expect that to happen in the first game. But look, we wanted to see guys like Jalen Wilson get going. We wanted to see Christian Brown get going. We wanted to see Ochai Abaji get back into the groove. We wanted to make sure David McCormick didn't get himself hurt. We wanted to see some of the bench guys get off the bench and actually, you know, contribute and play some good minutes. We saw literally every single one of those things. Remy Martin came in, played 11 minutes, scored four points. Uh, he did have three turnovers. You know, he did struggle at times with some of the stuff that he wanted to do. He did get banished to the bench for a good portion, a, a good portion of the second half at the beginning because of some of the things that were going on because West Virginia started making a run early in that half. But honestly, once the game got back under control, once the starters got back to a point where West Virginia wasn't going on a big run again, Remy started to work his way back in. They started to get a lot of the bench players back in. That had a lot more to do with how the starters were playing and making sure that we didn't let West Virginia get on such a big roll that they could come all the way back like we've seen multiple times. Then it really had to do with individual players. Yes, Remy Martin could have played better, but I thought for the role that he's in, the role that he's going to have going forward, he did a great job in this game. It's exactly what you expected. He got acclimated to that role quite a bit. And I think that we are setting ourselves up. We, we being the team is setting themselves up for a really, really good March. So I am super excited about that. Jalen Coleman lands came in for 10 minutes, got seven points, 
He was two of two from two, one of three from three. Um, I mean, you know, he was only 33% from three, but he only took three shots. And honestly, he did exactly what you expect. And then in the 10 minutes that he was in, he got five shots. So one shot every two minutes. You don't expect him to, to like take over the entire offense on his own when he comes in. So I'm not really necessarily worried about that, but he was a threat that was out there. He was making good rotations. He played some really good defense. He had a steal. Um, you know, he had an offensive rebound that led to a score. So like, this is, this is what you want from a role player like Jalen Coleman land. You want a guy that can come in and be a sharpshooter that can make good shots that can step in. If he needs to, to take a two instead of just taking threes overall, I don't know that you can expect much more from Coleman lands. And I don't know that you really want to get much more from Coleman lands. Um, other bench guys, before we talk about the main guys, David McCormick wasn't really a bench guy in this one, but he played bench minutes, only getting 10 minutes. But I've already kind of talked about him a little bit, you know, nine points, five rebounds. He had, uh, he, he did have three turnovers, so that was a little concerning. But again, like you could tell that while he he seemed to be in pretty good shape, he seemed to be playing really well and, and didn't necessarily seem to be favoring his foot at all. Um, I don't know how much of that was because we, we've seen Dave come out very strong at the beginning of games. I don't know how much of that was just that he didn't play enough to, to kind of wear it down and get to the point where it was a problem late in games. Um, or if it really is a case where his foot is feeling a lot better than it has in quite a long time. So, I mean, I would say it's an incomplete from David McCormick, but since the main goal here was just to make sure he didn't get himself injured more, um, then I, I would say the mission was accomplished here. Uh, Zach Clements and KJ Adams both got in, uh, seven minutes for Clements, five minutes for Adams. Neither of them, I'm sorry, Clements scored. Adams didn't score. Adams took one shot. Clemens took one shot. Clemens has went in. Um, but Clemens had three rebounds and two assists with a block, whereas KJ Adams had two assists as well to go with a turnover. I mean, it wasn't a, a huge production from them, but then again, you weren't expecting a huge production from them in this game. I, I thought maybe they were going to get a, little, a few more minutes, but when you look at how good Lightfoot was playing, you know how dominant he was in this particular game, it is really, really hard for me to expect KJ Adams and Zach Clements to, to get a lot more minutes and displace a guy who was playing as well as he was. You know, Bill Self is well known for riding the hot hand. He's well known for finding a guy that he really trusts and riding that guy into the ground if he can. Um, this is a game that builds Mitch Lightfoot's confidence. And, and I still think that Mitch is probably going to have a bigger role than Clements and Adams in the insulated tournament. You know, as that first guy off the bench on the uh, for the post, the guy that can kind of do some of the same things that McCormick can do, brings a little bit more energy, is super active. Um, so you are going to need him. He is a you know sixty year senior. He's kind of, um, I guess, earned the opportunity to be able to do everything he possibly can to help this team win. Um, you know, and and when he's going to have games like this, you absolutely want to take advantage of that. He had an offensive rating of one hundred and eighty one, which is absolutely ridiculously insane. Um, he ended up getting the MVP here, according to Ken Palm, which I'm not shocked by. I thought he played really well. He only had 10 points, but that was on five or six shooting. He had five rebounds total. He had an assist, but he had five blocks. And I think that was what most was most impressive because it's not like, it's not like West Virginia is a extremely small team, but Mitch Lightfoot, I mean, is roughly the same size as Gabe Asamoyan, same size as Jalen Bridges. Um, Isaiah Cottrell is really the only guy that's bigger than him. Uh, but, but when life, was out there, he was very active on the boards. He was, he was pushing guys around. He was affecting shots. He was getting in the way and causing problems 
on the defensive end for West Virginia, which again, part of that is what West Virginia does. Part of that is also just this team playing absolutely phenomenal defense. So I was extremely happy with the way that Mitch Lightfoot played in this game. I was extremely happy with the way that the entire team played in this game. Um, you know, and that kind of leads us to the big three, the guys that we talked about. And, and I talked about, you know, in the early part, I'm sorry, in, in my pregame predictions, like these three had to have good games for Kansas to really, really be able to go, uh, you know, for Kansas to really be able to reach their full potential in the postseason here. You have to have Ochai Abaji, Christian Brown, and Jalen Wilson all on, especially as you get to those later rounds. Um, what we saw here is, like, I looked at the box score initially, or as I was watching the game, what, what I was seeing didn't actually match up with what ended up being in the box score. And, and I talked about this a little bit in the in the game recap that happened at the end, um, you know, where I, I mean, I went through everything and kind of talked about how surprised I was by just how well Christian Brown played. Because you look at his final line, and I can tell you right now, I did not think that he was he was that efficient. Um, you know, he had an offensive rating 129, which isn't super special, but it's still really good. Uh, you know, he had 11 points on three of six, two point shooting and one of two, three point shooting. So he was 50% from the field, made both of his free throws, had four offensive rebounds, but 10 defensive rebounds. We had 14 total rebounds on the day with two assists and a steal. Um, that's a phenomenal performance. That's a really good defensive performance, which is what you need from Christian Brown. Um, you know, for him to take that next step into the NBA and, and to leave after this year, he probably has to have a good offensive uh, tournament. They have to go pretty deep and he has to be a guy that, you know, contributes a lot offensively. But I mean, I think what he brings defensively, a lot of NBA GMs are going to be really happy with. They're really going to kind of look for that. And so it's really just a matter of what kind of feedback he gets in the NBA process. We were actually talking about this over on the Blue Wings Rising Discord uh, earlier today. And, and over on Rock Talk Talk, um, you know, in the in the comment section. And I mean, I really think that Christian Brown has gotten back to in a completely different way than at the beginning of the year has gotten back to or really maintained because I don't know how much credit I was giving him at the in, in the middle of the year for some of the stuff that doesn't necessarily show up in the box score that you can't necessarily easily identify. So uh, but, you know, this was the perfect example of a Christian Brown game where he has a gigantic impact on the final result without a lot of that showing up in the box score. The the rebounds themselves were absolutely fantastic. I, I, I loved seeing all of those. Um, Ochai Abaji had 18 points, six and nine shooting from two, one of six from three, made all three of his free throws, had three total rebounds, two steals, uh, did turn the ball over twice. I, it was kind of a middle of the road game for Ochai. Like it wasn't him getting all the way back to his potential, but you could definitely tell like there was times where he flipped the switch. He had nine of the first 13 points for the Jayhawks. He really kind of put West Virginia back on their heels. And so I think part of that is also kind of similar to McCormick, you know, similar to some of these other guys that didn't have super gaudy stat lines, but I'm going to be honest, Ochai didn't need to have a super gaudy stat line because there was a bunch of other players that were playing really well. Kansas is going to be at its best in the, in the NCAA tournament when everybody is contributing, when Ochai does not have to play hero ball. Um, you know, he his three-point shooting has come back quite a bit, and I think a lot of that is because he's been taking really bad three-point shots because someone's got to do something, and so he feels like he has to take it upon himself to do it. Um, you know, this was a game where his three-point shooting still wasn't quite there, but it wasn't 
or at least I didn't feel like from, from watching it. And I went back and watched it again this afternoon or this evening. Um, I did not feel like it was Ochai forcing things. It was Ochai just not hitting a few shots, which depending on the way that you look at it may or may not be a, a worrying sign. Um, I, I actually happen to think, especially based off of the conversation we had in yesterday's episode with, with uh, Simon over at shot quality, you know, that Ochai's a good three point shooter. So him taking good three point shots is a good thing for Kansas, even if they don't go in. Um, I think that's what we saw in this game. At least that's what my eyes told me. I'll have to go back and look at the numbers once they actually come out from shot quality to kind of see if, if my num my eyes are matching up with what the numbers actually show. But it's definitely one of those instances where, you know, Abaji could have scored more if he really pushed it. He didn't need to, he didn't do it. And so I'm not worried. Um, last guy I'll talk about here. Well, actually, I mean, I've talked about it basically everybody at this point, but Jalen Wilson, uh, you know, he had a phenomenal game as well. He was the, the beneficiary of those six free throws that you got to make after the technical fouls. He made five of the six. Uh, those were the only free throws he took. He actually was on the on the wrong end of a couple really strange foul calls. Um, you know, ones where he either barely made contact or really wasn't doing much. Um, you know, or where he got poked and then got called for an offensive foul. Like it was really weird stuff that happened to him. I, like I went back and looked, and three of the fouls seemed to me to be. Fouls, and I'm not really sure, one, were actually fouls, and two, they definitely weren't consistent with the way the rest of the game was called. Um, so I'm not going to hold that against him. He definitely had more muted numbers than I was expecting, but he scored 15 points. Like, yes, five of those were on the free throws. They came after the technical. But the fact that he is the guy taking those technical shots, I think, says a lot about what Bill Self is thinking about him, is you know looking at his improvement, and I think it's a good sign for the rest of the conference slate. Or I'm sorry, for, for the rest of the postseason slate for the Jayhawks. Um, final guy I'll talk about, because I literally have talked about everybody else other than Christine who came in for a, a final three. You know, he actually was in for more than two minutes, which tells you just how out of hand this game got. Um, you know, I think I think after the, I believe it was after the 12-minute mark, uh, Kansas never trailed by, I'm sorry, Kansas never led by less than 20 the rest of the way. So Christine was able to get in, get in really, really early. Uh, so yeah, now I have talked about everybody except for Dwan Harris. Dwan Harris was phenomenal in this game. Seven assists to zero turnovers. That's the kind of ratio you need from a non-scoring and I mean, or a not looking to score as much point guard that you have in Dwan Harris. He had six points, um, multiple drives to the basket. There were a couple times I think where he took shots that he probably necessarily shouldn't have because he was looking to score. I don't know that I'm oh I'm worried about that. Like we've all talked about how we want Harris to be a threat to score. Yes. I think part of that, we want him to be shooting from the outside so that people don't sag off of him and double team. But if they're going to sag off of him and give him an opportunity to drive and he's showing the willingness to drive to the bucket and try to shoot that, that doesn't maybe necessarily work quite as well as three point spacing, but it definitely does enough to make teams think twice about just completely abandoning him in the offense. So there's not really a lot to say from him because he did exactly what you would expect. Play great defense. You know, those seven assists were absolutely phenomenal. Uh, he did have two steals as well. So, I mean, it's one of those things where Kansas played really well. It's really hard, though, to look at an individual player and say he just completely balled out because everybody was doing so great. So, all right. I don't really have anything else on that game. I went a lot longer than I thought I would just being here by myself, but that's all right because uh, we do have some other things to look at. Before we do that, though, I do need to throw it to a quick break. We will be right back on the Rock Chuck Podcast. 
If you love the Big 12, then we have the show for you. The 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. Forget the SEC, forget the Big 10, and forget national podcasts that only talk about Oklahoma and Texas. We talk about the Sooners and the Longhorns. We also talk about the Cyclones, the Cowboys, the Wildcats, the Mountaineers, the Jayhawks, the Red Raiders, the Horn Frogs, and the Bears. We love the whole Big 12, and we are available everywhere the podcasts are found. So go and find the 1012 podcast and subscribe today. And we're back. I'm here solo today. We just finished recapping the West Virginia game for the Kansas Jayhawks. We are looking ahead to uh, now two different games tomorrow. Kansas Jayhawks women against the Oklahoma Sooners. That's going to be happening at 1130. I'm sorry, 11 o'clock in the morning. Uh, that first quarterfinal, four seed versus five seed. Winner probably takes on Baylor, just depending on how everything goes. Um, but I think the, the the expectation is that even though Oklahoma State was able to quote unquote upset Texas Tech tonight, um, the expectation is that Baylor should be able to roll into this into the semifinals against whoever wins this particular game. So we will talk about that one first because it's the one that actually happens first. Um, I will say though, there's not a lot to say about this because Kansas, you know, is playing the exact same team in Oklahoma that they just played to end the season. Um, that in and of itself can be difficult at times, partly because not all, you know there hasn't been really much time for things to change, but that also can be good in a way because what you're likely to see is that stuff that was effective the first time is probably going to be effective the second time, um, you know, barring a huge, a huge difference. Yes, there is some opportunity for Oklahoma to make bigger adjustments, to have some practicing that will allow them to make other adjustments. But there's only so much you can actually do in less than a week's time while you're getting ready for a tournament, um, you know, to completely change the way that, that you are doing things. So, um, you know, looking at the last game that they had, Kansas actually did a really, really good job of shutting down the main contributors for, uh, for, for Oklahoma. Maddie Williams was held to only eight points and nine rebounds. They got her to commit five turnovers. Turnovers was another issue that she had in the first game against Kansas. So it's not like it's just a, you know, they they got her on a bad day for her and forced her into a bunch of turnovers. This seems to be something that Kansas can do fairly consistently, which is, you know, the way that their pressure defense goes is really, really good at making sure that Oklahoma doesn't get a lot of good looks. Taylor Robinson, um, you know, she she did score 14 points, had two rebounds, but both of those are under her season average. So Kansas held them held her to below her season average. She's gonna have to step up in this game if, for them to get past the Jayhawks. The Jayhawks play in such a way they play a very a, a varying style. I think is the best way for me to describe it. They do a lot of different things in a lot of different ways than other teams in the conference do, which gives them I wouldn't necessarily say an advantage, but it gives them the the quote unquote element of surprise. Um, because they do a lot of similar sort of things that you'll see from a lot of teams and they're very adaptable, can do a lot of different things, can run a lot of different lineups, you know, can run a a lot of different sets, but they do it in a way that's a little bit different from what you would expect knowing what they're trying to do. Um, Iona Hatzlionti, I'm sorry, Iona Hatzlionti does a really, really good job of getting rebounds. She had, uh, she had a, a 10, 10 rebounds in the last game against the Sooners that actually was enough to get her to the next milestone. I believe it was 300 rebounds in her career. Um, but you know, the fact that she was able to get that many rebounds, um, in addition to what Tiana Jackson got on the inside, um, really kind of talks about the versatility of what 
Iona Hatzleonti, I'm sorry, of what Hatzleonti can, can actually do because she, you know, has done a ton of different things in a, in a bunch of different games. She is kind of that jack of all trades for the Jayhawks. Um, you know, she, I didn't actually identify her in the preview as one of the, the key people to watch mainly because I don't really know what her role is going to be in this game, right? Like Anaya Thomas in the last game did a really good job picking up the slack. Kurz Geter had a tough game, but a lot of that was Oklahoma consciously taking her out of it, making sure that the three points, the three point shots that she took were not great ones. And so Kurz Geter did not have a good game against Oklahoma. But again, I think that was entirely by design. Um, you know, Kansas let Oklahoma focus on her. And while it made her struggle, it did open up a lot of opportunities for other people. Anaya Thomas was the big beneficiary of that. She scored 19 points, got four steals. Um, she has come on really strong in the last few games as a senior here, uh, really looking for her to provide some leadership going into the Big 12 tournament and going into the postseason. So I'm really excited to see what's going to happen there. I'm excited to be able to see them up close and in person to really enjoy the game that that's going to be there and bringing all of that to you guys. So again, I will be covering this game in person, you know, make sure that you are following my own Twitter account so that you can get all of those live updates. I'm not going to be tweeting from the, from the podcast account during the game. Um, I will be doing it from my own personal account. Part of that I believe is because of the media information I give you the big 12. Um, so, you know, just, just want to make sure that everything's on the up and up there. And, and to be honest, you know, I, I need to be doing more stuff from there anyway. Um, and so I, you know, make sure you're following me over there if you're not already, uh, but make sure that you are paying attention to that game. If you can watch on ESPN, you great. So you can actually see them, but uh, you know, I will be there to give you guys those updates if you do need them. So, but look, no matter how tough the game is on the court, um, one thing that we know that Kansas can count on because Oklahoma does not have this is the wonderful influence from sponsor here on the podcast, Home Field Apparel. Yes, I'm talking about Home Field Magic from Home Field Apparel. You guys know Home Field Apparel is the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel anywhere. They have t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, joggers, a whole bunch more. They have over a hundred different schools, including the Jayhawks, just recently. Um, you know, that but they, they keep adding new schools all the time. They're, they're taking a little bit of a break after this weekend when they add UCLA, um, you know, big new Saturday. But they continue to add new stuff all the time. They've been adding new stuff for a bunch of different schools. Uh, they had the Georgia Southern Panther, Dunking Panther. You know, they had the Dunking, uh, uh, the, the, dumping, the Dunking Fighting Irish. I don't really know what their mascot actually is. But, you know, they have a lot of different things that they are adding all the time, one-off shirts to add to existing lines and things like that. But head on over to homefieldapparel.com. I promise that in addition to the Kansas stuff that's there, that's absolutely fantastic. You're going to find a bunch of other different things that you want. If you go over there, use promo code CHALK12. You can get 50% off your entire first order. All orders over $100 get free shipping. I guarantee you that it's going to be really hard to keep yourself under $100 because of all the great stuff that they have. I have like nine different shirts, not counting any of the, the KU stuff that's on its way to me. Um, so, you know, I can guarantee you're going to find more than enough stuff to fill out your closet. It's really great stuff. You're really going to like it. It's super comfortable as well. My wife steals mine all the time and never hers is dirty because it's just that fantastic. So again, head on over to homefieldapparel.com, promo code CHALK12, get you 15% off your entire first order and all orders over hundred dollars get free shipping. All right. That's it for the women's tournament. We can talk a little bit more about the women's tournament. I will have a primer out probably by the time that this is actually posted that you're listening to this, unless you're trying to catch it super early in the morning. Um, basically 
what I what I'm planning on having over on Blue Wings Rising, if you have not already seen it by the time you're listening to this episode, uh, is just a quick primer of all of the eight teams that are left. So as we go through this entire weekend, I know that there's a lot of people that aren't familiar with the women's teams, especially the other women's teams, not not the Jayhawks. Um, and so it's just to kind of give you an idea of what these different teams are like, who who like a key player is on there. Um, you know, and, and like a, a reference guide, essentially, as you go through the rest of the tournament, even if, if the Jayhawks end up getting eliminated before the final, that way you can still enjoy all of the great basketball that happens here in the Big 12 Conference um, and, and have some context for what's actually happening there. So uh, that, that, again, will be out over on Blue Wings Rising. By the time this comes up, most likely, make sure you head on over there and that you're checking it out. You can check it out throughout the entire weekend because it's going to be useful information regardless of where we are in the tournament and how far we've actually advanced at that point. So, um, all right, but looking ahead now, obviously the big game that most people will be paying attention to tomorrow night, Kansas in the semifinal. Um, and actually before we get there talking about the other semifinal, um, you know, Oklahoma upset Baylor this evening, this evening being when I'm recording, um, it, what I think was a surprise, like, I don't know that I ever completely ruled out the possibility that Oklahoma could upset Baylor. But I was definitely surprised to see that they did upset Baylor, especially the way that they were able to do it. Baylor had issues getting good shots all night long, but they were able to find ways to get in the score. They used their pressure defense to cause a lot of problems for Oklahoma. Oklahoma was able to overcome all of that, especially with Tanner Groves on the bench dealing with foul trouble for a good portion of this game. Um, you know, the fact that his brother, Jacob Groves, stepped up was it was was ended up named the player of the game. By the broadcast, he did a phenomenal job making sure that Kansas stayed in. Or I'm sorry, not Kansas, making sure that Oklahoma stayed in that game um, for them to be able to get the upset. I don't know how much of this actually changes seeding outlook and all of that. Um, I still think that there's a really good shot that Baylor gets a one seed. I mean, I think a lot of people have them locked in. I don't know that this, that this does enough unless Kansas wins the Big Twelve tournament and someone like Kentucky wins the SEC tournament. Uh, you know, and, and Arizona wins the Pac-12 tournament. Like, if all three of those things happen and they all do it convincingly, um, then there is an opportunity, I think, for Baylor to be pushed off the one line. But I think for the most part, they're pretty much guaranteed as a one. I do think that they're out of the running now for the overall one. Um, but you know, as long as they're as long as they're not behind Arizona, then they should be okay uh, because I, I do think that they'll fall behind Gonzaga at this point. So, um, but regardless. The other semifinal, I had thought that Iowa State was going to put up a, bit, a little bit more of a fight. Unfortunately, things just went horribly wrong for them. They could not make a single shot. Um, I mean, obviously, they made more than one shot because of the, the way that the final score worked out. But I was expecting them to be able to get over some of their shooting woes. Those did continue, unfortunately. I think them playing against Baylor um, seems to be more of a fluke compared to what they've been doing recently. Uh, I mean, I don't know if it's fair to actually call it a fluke, but it's definitely much more in line with what we saw tonight, the, the the struggles that they had. But they did hit 41 points. So so they did get over the 40 mark, which is great. Uh, but they had a 31-point loss, 72-41 to 41 against Texas Tech. Texas Tech looked really, really good. I would not be shocked to see Texas Tech just completely destroy Oklahoma. But Oklahoma needs this game. Like, if they want to get into the big into the NCAA tournament, they need a game against Texas Tech. And, and I'm going to be completely honest, they probably want to match up against Kansas as opposed to TCU because at the very worst that loss to, te- to Kansas will not absolutely will absolutely not hurt them at all. Um you know so if they can beat Texas Tech I think they're probably at that point in 
Um, but and but then if they then lose to TCU, say in the title game, that might be a problem for them. That might cause them to drop back a little bit, kind of just depending on how the committee work, you know, works all of that in. So, um, but regardless, I think the game everybody really wants to hear me talk about is the first semifinal coming up, which is TCU versus Kansas. I mean, I think we saw TCU today do a bunch of different things that kind of jive a little bit with what we saw against Kansas last week. But then again, I mean, I don't know how much of that's actually repeatable. Look, they fell way behind against Texas. Going into halftime, I believe there's a 20-point or like an 18-point deficit for the for the Horn Frogs, and yet somehow they were able to come all the way back. I was I was honestly shocked. Like I was watching that game, and I was like, man, Kansas is going to play Texas again. Um, you know, that kind of sucks because I, I don't, I don't know that I want to watch Kansas play Texas again. And I'm, I'm honestly glad I don't have to, but I also don't really know what to make of this CCU team. They obviously give Kansas problems on the inside with Lampkin, um, you know, and, and, and some of the other things that they do in there. Um, but I don't know how much of that was just them being super familiar with Kansas, you know, them peaking at the right time, coming off of the big high against Texas tech and Kansas kind of struggling with, all of the games, you know, in quick succession there. Not not saying that TCU wasn't, but it almost seemed like TCU fed off of that environment of having to play six games in 13 days, um, whereas Kansas just really did not do well with it. So we're not in a similar situation. Yes, Kansas just played yesterday, so there's definitely going to be some fatigue there, but I don't think it was nearly as difficult as it could have been because Kansas honestly did not have to expend maximum effort to get past West Virginia, whereas TCU fell behind a lot. You know, they were down, I'm sorry, it was 18 points that they were down after the, after half, they were down 40 to 22. They had to make a giant comeback to come all the way back to win that game. Um, you know, they ended up winning by five, but you know, this was a, this was a hard fought game. This was a game. And, and, and I think really the biggest issue, the biggest thing I'm worried about if I'm a TCU fan is what is Mike miles health going to be like tomorrow? He did roll his ankle uh, late in that game was able to go get taped up and come back and help finish the game to help get, to help them advance. But as we all know, you know, with any kind of experience with an, with an, an ankle injury, a lot of times you can stabilize the ankle for the current, you know, the, the current exercise or the current workout or the current game that you're in. Um, but once you go home, you know, and kind of ice it and start to do things to try to, to get off of it and the adrenaline's no longer pumping and all that stuff, it can, it can really start to swell. So I will be interested to see what Mike Miles' availability is like tomorrow, how effective he is early in that game. I think there is a very good chance that Kansas might have lucked out, not the way you want to luck out, but you might have lucked out in such a way that Mike Miles is not going to be as effective as he normally is, which is going to open up opportunities for Kansas to do a lot of things. Um, that also means that I don't know how much you're going to be able to take out of the game tomorrow. Obviously, if Kansas struggles in this game and TCU pulls off an upset or TCU almost wins, then you might be a little bit worried about what that means moving forward. But I also, again, you can fee or you can kind of talk a little bit about that, maybe having to do with the fact that, you know, TCU is playing completely differently than they did before. If miles isn't good to go. Um, Alternatively, if Kansas just completely blows TCU out, I don't know how much that actually says other than it's kind of the similar situation against West Virginia, like blowing West Virginia out, wasn't like the automatic, oh man, this team is absolutely fantastic. They're going to run to a national title. Absolutely no question. It was absolutely a, man, things really got out of hand for West Virginia. Kansas looks absolutely phenomenal. The best part of this entire game is the fact that all of the bench players get a whole bunch of work. And so I think there's a good chance that we might be in a similar sort of, way, a similar sort of situation against TCU if TCU 
does not have Mike Miles available or he's extremely ineffective because of that injury. Um, I really hope that's not the case. I'm hoping for a good game. Obviously, I'm hoping that Kansas wins. Um, but, you know, we, we've looked multiple times at what these two teams do. Obviously, the big thing for TCU is that they get a bunch of offensive rebounds. Um, you know, they, they have problems, though, with shooting, especially from the outside. They have problems turning the ball over. Kansas has turned up the pressure in the last few games. But, I, again, I don't know how much of that is going to be super effective. Uh, if, if, if TCU is able to break that press, break that pressure, it's going to lead to a lot of easy buckets, which is going to be problems for the Jayhawks. So I'll be interested to see how everything kind of ties together, what kind of momentum carries over for the Jayhawks. But I'm not really sure at this point what that's going to look like. So, But I think that's going to do it for us today. I don't really have a lot more to say about these games. I don't want to drag this out any further. Um, so, you know what, that will do it for us today. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please go out wherever you get your podcasts, whereas Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there, just search for Rock Chalk Podcast so you can subscribe and get every single episode as soon as it comes out. If you can give us a rating and a review, five stars, nice comments would be absolutely great. But if for whatever reason you're not able to do that, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want me to try to interview, anything like that, you can contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. You can also follow me personally um, at andymitz 12 uh, you know, I'll be doing the game from there tomorrow, but you can always send me questions there. I talk about more than just Kansas there. I also talk about the rest of the Big 12 because I'm over on the 1012 podcast as well on Mondays. Speaking of, we are part of the 1012 podcast network, which covers all the teams in the Big 12 conference. We have the main show there that I am on on Mondays. Then we also have a bunch of different podcasts covering all the different schools in the Big 12 conference. It's a great way to learn about all the conference opponents that are going to really affect the Jayhawks. So uh, we are on the Anchor platform as well. So you can leave us a voicemail. Go to anchor.fm slash rock dash talk dash podcast slash message. And I promise we'll get your voice on the show. But that's going to do it for us today. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Hey there, 1012 Network listeners. This is Dustin from the Scott Nolan Podcast, the original Houston Cougar athletics podcast, and the latest member of the 1012 Network. Uh, my co-host, Sam, do you want to tell the fine folks what the Scott Nolan Podcast is all about? I sure do. We come on here at least once a week and we talk all things going on in the world of Houston Cougar sports. Plus, we usually find time for some of what's going on in our future conference, our current conference, and really the college sports world at large. We're not just a football, men's basketball podcast. We really pride ourselves here on the fact that every single team that wears the Scarlet and Albino in Houston and their jerseys gets time on our show. Plus, from time to time, we bring on some guests ranging from opposing team experts to even former Olympic great Carl Lewis. So be sure to search the Scott and Holman podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, we spell podcast P-A-W-D cast because we are oh so funny like that. Sports Social Podcast Network.